This podcast may contain graphic and or explicit content that may not be suitable for some listeners, especially kids like me. <laughs> Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Real Life Podcast brought to you by the Thin Blue Line for Women. In this podcast, We open up and talk about real-life issues as they relate to first responders. It's raw, it's real, and it's about time. I'm Tamara, your host. Thanks for joining me. Are you looking for Thin Blue Line gear? It's available on our website at thinbluelineforwomen.com. That's thinbluelineforwomen.com the number four, women.com. Show your support for law enforcement and get your Thin Blue Line gear today. Just click on shop at thinbluelineforwomen.com. Don't forget, you can listen to the Real Life Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and on YouTube. Thank you for joining us. Do you like pink? I sure hope so, because in this next episode, you'll meet Sarah Cooksey, an engineer, EMT, and firefighter with the Tallahassee Fire Department. In this interview, she's going to talk about her passion, which is driving a pink fire truck around town. Thank you all for joining in. Sarah, it is so nice to meet you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Tamara. Of course. So before we get into this long interview of questions that I have for you, let's just talk about you. Tell me and the listeners about Sarah. Well, basically, I started um, public service at the age of 14 years old. I was a fire explorer with the Green Cove Springs Volunteer Fire Department. Um, My dad was a volunteer there, and it was just something, you know, we hopped on the back of the ambulances or the fire trucks and, and served the people in our community. It was a small community. And the volunteer department was pretty much the bulk of how we took care of our community. We had a few paid people at the time that were like Monday through Friday, eight to five. And then eventually they went to 24 hours and they had fire and rescue there through Clay County Fire Rescue. Um, But that was kind of how I got introduced. And, you know, at 14, I was like, okay, this is kind of a cool gig. You know, I was in ROTC in high school and, you know, a long line of uh, military family my my dad was retired Air Force. My grandfather's a retired, you know, Marine. Um, I have an aunt and uncle that are near and dear to me that worked law enforcement. I have another uncle that's a paramedic up in Rhode Island. You know, I have a lot of family that that's what we do as public service. So, you know, I was 17 my senior year when I graduated, and I kind of was like, what am I going to do with my life? And mm-hmm. I went to EMT school, and I started working for Baptist St. Vincent's Hospital in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I worked there for about five years. And then I worked for another ambulance company. And then in 2002, I was hired with the Tallahassee Fire Department. So 
that's kind of basically where I started my family life and, and my career, um, so to speak, you know, my retirement career at 22. And, you know, by the time I was 25, I was married. Um, you know, the American dream, you have two kids, white picket fence, you build a house. I started a business on the side, manufacturing, manufacturing immobility accessories that I still currently run and operate. Um, you know, a lot of importing and challenges that we see in today's current economic times. But um, I was married for 15 years. In 2018, I got a divorce. Um, I have two beautiful children. I have a son who's 16 and I have a daughter who's 14. And it's, you know, it's been a challenging, I would say, year and a half to two years post-divorce, but I have a lot of things going for me. I have a lot of passion and um, I just, I love serving my community. You know, I work for the Tallahassee Fire Department in two different capacities. I serve as a engineer, which drives the big red trucks, and I'm an acting lieutenant on the lieutenant's list. And I also do public information and social media. So I manage the social media for our, our department. Um, and it kind of gives me a wide variety of things to, to work with and be responsible for. And I really enjoy it. Wow. So being an engineer and an EMT and a firefighter and, and you're an acting lieutenant and you're, what did you say? The, the spokesperson for your department as well? I do. I do some public information, kind of the spokesperson. And then I also do the social media and manage the social media. So all of our wow. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and things like that. So you are a very busy woman. Very busy. At work and at home. And so so you just told me that, I didn't know this until just now, that you recently got divorced in 2018. So divorce rates among first responders are high. You know that. Oh, yeah. So what what is what is it like working as a firefighter and, well, and an EMT and being divorced? I know that's a loaded question, but I mean, well, actually, how, how do you manage that? I mean, to get a little bit in my personal business and kind of in the weeds, but not too much. For me, it was kind of challenging because my ex-husband was also a firefighter with the same department. So, you know, that just brings a whole different set of challenges. And and the divorce rates are extremely high. And let's talk about why that is. I mean, there's PTSD in the fire service. There's so many stressors that, you know, you try to keep them from coming home. And I feel like when you have two people involved in the same type of job, you come home and it's very stressful and, and it adds a whole different set of challenges. So once I got through the divorce, I, I was fortunate enough to you know, get into another relationship with somebody that really supported all my passions and everything I did. And actually, I think kind of brought me down to more of a normal level when it came to parenting and a lot of other things, because everything that we think is like a big deal sometimes, you know, and then I think that this is a big challenge that everyone has. So in my life, I run into burning buildings and I go to someone's emergency and this is fire service, law enforcement, EMS, any one of Mm -hmm. us. So Mm -hmm. we mitigate problems. And I think that we really struggle with mitigating our own problems. And so Mm -hmm. a common phrase that I hear is, well, why are you crying? Why are you upset? Because you run into a burning building and you're in charge of people, you're in command of people, but you're upset about spilled milk. And I think it's because when we're in that command presence mode or we're in that mode where we're working, it's someone else's problem. And a lot of times we can't deal with our own problems at home. So we go in and we try to help people and we try to do our best job at work, but then we come home and it's like, whoa, this is big and I really can't solve the problem right now. And we think that we should have to be able to immediately Mm -hmm. solve that problem. Mm -hmm. 
Well, because it worked with you. Right. It's emotional. It's emotional and it's personal. I think that you can Mm -hmm. detach when you're at work and you go in and you help someone else. You know, you walk in and someone throws their baby, their lifeless baby in your arms and you just go into work mode. Right, right. But if someone threw your lifeless baby into your arms, you panic. And so that's how I try to use that analogy of it's your life versus someone else's life and you feel kind of out of control. Right, right. That's interesting that you that you say that. I, I remember one time my alarm went off in my house. This is after I retired. My alarm went off in my house in the middle of the night. And okay, if I was at work, I would go charging in that house thinking somebody was in there armed. And I, I wouldn't have a problem with it at all. And here right. I am retired and I'm in my own home and my alarm went off. I freaked out. I called 911 and I hid in my closet. I had my gun with me, but I hid. I hid in my closet with my daughter. And I'm think, after the fact, I'm thinking, what am I doing? I'm a police officer, but, but it was emotional. It was my daughter. I was protecting. I can't go in my own home and put my life on the line when I'm her only parent. So, so it's a totally different world when you're at work. If I'm at work, even though I'm a single parent and I could still lose my life, I'm going to charge in that house and arrest whoever's in there. Isn't that weird? It's such a different my Different aunt, world. who's retired law enforcement, we just talked about it. It's like that whole, you you go into work mode and then you come home and it's that disconnect. Like for me, yeah. I finally moved out of the city a little bit, kind of in the country and I have like a 25 minute drive home through just a beautiful countryside. Mm-hmm. And I'm finally at a point in my life where I can kind of disconnect and listen to music. And I don't really talk to anybody on the way home. You know, it's kind mm-hmm. of my moment for me, God and the, the trees, you know, and, right. and music and just kind of yes. relaxing on the way home to to be able to leave all that stuff at the door because it really does affect who you are and affects, like you said, it's, it's personal at home. Mm -hmm. And so then the little things like you could go in and I'm sure as law enforcement, you you will back this up. So you go into a domestic issue and there's a teenage girl not listening to her mom and they're arguing and you're like, okay, I can help talk them down off this ledge. But then when you and your own daughter are arguing, you're like, I can't deal with this. Isn't that odd? It's because it's emotional. You're invested. Right. So it's such a different thing. So you're, when you got a divorce, your kids were 14 and 16. Is that what you said? They're 14 and 16 now. Now they were, gosh, 12 and 12 and 14 ish when the, when the process started. Do you think it was easier getting a divorce with older children or is it just as hard as if they were little tiny kids? I don't really have an answer for that, to be honest. I think that in some ways they're more understanding, but I think that divorce is bitter and raw. And I think that when they're smaller, they're not as aware of everything that's going on. I mean, in my Mm -hmm. case, my kids kind of knew it was coming. They knew that we just weren't happy. And there was just a lot of insecurities there and things like that. And so they could see all of that. And so mm-hmm. I guess what I'm trying to say is that if they were, you know, two and four, that maybe we could have gotten past a lot of that stuff before they realized what was really going on, like started the healing process. So I'm trying to heal myself, you know, make sure that my kids are healing, which has been a little bit difficult. You know, I have my daughter pretty much full time and my son stays mm-hmm. with his dad. So that's been a little bit difficult. Actually, it's been very mm-hmm. difficult. There's no little bit about it. That's been very, very difficult. But yeah, I, um, I think that if they were younger, it might have had some benefits. But then at the same time, I think being older, you're kind of on the other side of it too. So they're they're almost to to being adults. 
So I, I don't really have the answer there because I haven't gone through the process with with young kids. I know that with yeah. teenagers, it's been pretty challenging. Yeah. Now you mentioned a little bit ago also that he's a firefighter as well. So it was really difficult coming home and you're a firefighter. He's a firefighter. You both have, you know, these stressors that you both bring home with you, which may be contributed to the divorce, but I'm going to ask you a, a serious question here. A lot of people think it's easier to be married to you know, a, a firefighter married to a firefighter, a first responder married to a first responder, because they understand each other more. And so do you think that that's true? I I can honestly say, because I've, I'm right now sitting on both sides of the fence of that. So I was married to a firefighter and now I'm in a pretty serious relationship of about a year and a half um, with someone who's not in, in first response at all. And I think that in some ways, yeah, it's nice to be able to just say, you know what, and, and let's just get raw here. Today, I put someone's child in a body bag, or I worked CPR for you know thirty minutes, and I couldn't bring this guy's wife back, and she's our age, you know, those types of things. Mm. Um, and those aren't as easily received in a relationship that someone is not a first responder, but mm. it keeps me more grounded because Jason has the ability to listen to what I have to say, but at the same time, kind of just distract me in other ways. So we have a lot of outlets and hobbies and things that we do together. And he keeps me grounded, even though he's not a first responder. So I guess what I'm saying is it's easier if you're with a first responder to come home and like regurgitate everything you saw, uh-huh, but there's different right. levels of PTSD. So maybe you don't need to regurgitate everything that you see when you come home. <laughs> maybe you just need to say, I've had a rough day. And that's really all you need to talk about instead of going into all those nitty gritty details. And I can say that now. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I've had a rough day. You know, when we first got together, I would start to go into some details. He's like, I don't want to hear that. And that's okay because he doesn't really need to hear every little nitty gritty detail. He just needs to know that I've had a rough day. And Mm -hmm. I think that this relationship for me is stronger because of that. And it's, and he really does. He, he keeps me grounded. He's a fantastic parent. I mean, there are days that I'm humbled because my daughter will have me ripping my hair out. And he's like, does that really matter? And I'm like, you know what? In the grand scheme of things, that doesn't matter. You're right. It's like petty. Pick, like, like pick your battles, right? Right. That's interesting. So, 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 okay. Now, now here's a weird question for you. If you wouldn't have got divorced, are the struggles still the same? With two first responders living together, having a life together? What do you mean? I mean, okay. I mean, with, with, with your struggles are probably worse because you're divorced. But what about two people who aren't divorced? Oh, oh, oh. And, like I, mean, I mean, are the still struggles still the same? Yeah. Are the struggles still the same? First yes, responder and, to first responder? Yes. And oddly enough, so I um, actually wrote a portion of a book with a friend of mine. And it that book was basically dealing with first responder marriages. And so a lot of it we approached as a first responder and then a significant other or a a husband or wife that, or actually it was husbands mostly, but that weren't first responders. But there were some that were both first responders. And I think that those problems, I mean, there's a lot of issues there and it's just how you approach it. I mean, I know of another married couple that I work with, actually a couple and, um, you know, they all face struggles, but I think they get through them. And I think it's just a matter, you know, some couples can make it and some can't, Mm -hmm. you know, but I think that's 
marriage in general. You know, some people can yeah. work it out and some people can't. I do think that getting help before it gets extremely bad or getting counseling is is a must, but both people have to want to do that. Yeah. You know, um, there's a lot of other struggles too when, when we get down into the weeds of all that too, where, you know, let's face it, a lot of first responders battle addiction, um, mm-hmm. whether it's alcohol or drugs or, you know, and the difference is, is that they know how to hide it better. So they'll get a prescription oh, or yeah. they'll deal with those kind of drugs instead of, you know, going on the street and getting those. It's, there's a lot of things that, that we use to compartmentalize and cover up what we're dealing with. It's the kick the dog syndrome, you know? So I think getting a divorce, I had struggles, but I think that being married, there's the same amount of struggles. It's just a, the amount of work you want to put into it, I guess. Right. Right. Um, let me, let me take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to actually talk about your pink fire truck. All right, awesome. <laughs> I'm, ex- I'm excited to talk about that. We'll be right back. Me too. Are you interested in CSI or forensics? The Forensic Science Academy program has been recognized as the premier training program completely dedicated to students who are launching their forensic career. The Academy offers specialized hands-on training modules in basic and advanced crime scene investigation, forensic photography, fingerprint identification and classification, crime scene management, and coroner investigations. Instruction is offered in the form of weekend workshops, online courses, webinars, and seminars. Training at the Academy of Forensic Science will give students the competitive edge employers and agencies are looking for when hiring. Past graduates are now working as crime scene investigators, private investigators, forensic pathologists, coroner investigators, forensic nurses, forensic accountants, and even criminalists. The courses are taught by forensic professionals who are experts in the field and hold membership in the International Association for Identification and other professional forensic organizations. For more information, visit ForensicScienceAcademy.org. Again, that's ForensicScienceAcademy.org. Have you ever wondered what being a part of CSI is really like? If so, here's your chance to experience it. My book titled Through My Eyes, CSI Memoirs That Haunt the Soul, contains 11 personal accounts of the most grueling and heartbreaking crime scenes I worked during my 15 years in the Crime Scene Investigations Unit. While reading my book, you'll walk inside the crime scene tape with me. You'll catch a glimpse of what I saw, touched, smelled, and even tasted during an average workday. I'll take you on a difficult journey of memories, uncovering layers of emotional trauma left behind. So if you're considering a job in CSI, this is the book for you. Or if you're just wondering what it's like to work in CSI, again, this is the book for you. Through My Eyes is available in the ebook format and paperback on Amazon. All right, we're back from break and let's talk about your pink fire truck. So that's my, yeah, that's where, my favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> yay. Well, so where, where did this idea of the pink fire truck come from? So go okay, ahead. Well, there's a man named Dave Graybill out of Phoenix, Arizona, and he started the national pink heels tour. So in 2010, it was October of 2010, 
um, the national tour came through Tallahassee. And when they came through Tallahassee, I was like, wow, this is a really cool program. And he kind of pitched the program and he gives the program to free or to, excuse me, not too free, gives the program for free to all communities that they really kind of want it. And back then the prerequisite was that a firefighter ran it and, you know, cause it was pink fire trucks. Um, and his hope was that you would adopt this program in your community and that all the money raised would go towards things like taking care of families with cancer. Um, and, and it initially started with cancer, but then since then we've kind of branched off to taking care of any kind of need, like a medical need. Um, and if someone steps forward and they're like, Hey, I, I need some help with certain things. We step up and we take care of those needs. So that was October of 2010. And, like I mentioned earlier, I own a manufacturing company where I manufacture immobility goods, um, hunting accessories and things like that. And in front of my business, there is another business named Universal Collision, and it's a paint and body shop. And the guy that owns that paint and body shop, his name is Frank Gandy. And he had a daughter named Ariel. And at the time, Ariel was about 15 years old. And he thought that she needed a part-time job. And he said, hey, do you have something that Ariel can do? Because I feel like kids should work for someone else and not for their parents because it teaches them responsibility and they're not working under their parents. So it kind of gives them a little dose of reality. And so I said, sure, no problem. I'm going to have her come in and answer phones and all this. So she that was like, let's see, the, the middle of 2009 or 2010, rather, beginning to middle. Um, and so she would come in the afternoons and she would answer phones and file papers and do like little clerical stuff in my warehouse. And I remember her not feeling good in the afternoon. So fast forward to October and that's when pink heels came through. And the very next day we found out that she was diagnosed with liver cancer and she battled that liver cancer. They gave her like six months to live. And I'm kind of given the condensed version, but like they flew in special radiation beads and stuff like that from Australia and like did all this, you know, heavy duty treatment for her. And her six months turned into about a year and a half or so. Um, and I was like, you know, our, our community needs this program. Well, you know, in the meantime, 2011 kind of went around. I, I incorporated and started a 501c3. And I'm like, okay, now where am I going to get a fire truck? And, you know, 2012 rolled around and she passed away. And in September of 2012, I actually rode on the national tour. I drove from Seattle, Washington to San Francisco. Wow. And so I drove Pink Hill. Yep. I drove Pink Hills trucks on the national tour all that way. I mean, it was crazy because we drove Pink Hills trucks through the Redwood Forest. I mean, it was just an amazing experience. And what I learned on the tour in 2012 was what it was like to be a tour driver. Like I understood the concept of Pink Hills and I understood you know, what we were about, but being a tour driver and driving from city to city and just seeing that cancer is one of those things that affects everyone and seeing that Mm -hmm. families all have the same kind of needs. So one family might have insurance and they just need help with groceries and rent and those types of things because their co-pays are expensive or just the travel, just the travel alone for treatments. Mm -hmm. Whereas another family may not have insurance and, you know, you step in and pay for their biopsy their initial treatment, getting them started. Um, And then another family, their loved one lost their battle and they don't know what funeral expenses are going to look like or how to do those types of things. So anyway, in 2012, I drove on the national tour. And then in 2013, I was actually given a pink fire truck and that was my very first truck. 
And that was the truck that I named Ariel. And I named it after Ariel Gandy, which was Frank's daughter. So that big pink truck. Yeah, that big pink truck's named Ariel. And I could tell you a whole lot of stories about (sighs) my journey with her. But um, so fast forward, it took three years for us to restore and paint that truck. It was Gosh, I want to say like 2,600 manpower hours of volunteers that came in to restore and repaint her. And then in 2016, April 30th of 2016, we dedicated her to our community after that restoration process. Um, And, you know, it it, it was an amazing experience just to get her on the road. And then I realized, wow, you know, we did this. We did this for our own community. And then the weekend that we dedicated her, we actually paid for someone to have a biopsy because they didn't have health insurance and they were so scared. And I remember how terrified they felt and they just needed that treatment, but couldn't afford it. It was like $1,500. And so some of the things that we did too, is we went into the doctor's offices and the labs and all that kind of stuff. And we would negotiate pricing. Like if we do a cash pay, what will you do for Mm -hmm. my patient, you know, our client? And a lot of times they would come in and kind of work with us. So it was just a I realized at that point that it was a community thing and that everybody wanted a part of it. And so Pink Heels Tallahassee chapter isn't mine. It's it, it really belongs to the community and it's it's been an amazing journey. So I had Ariel and then we fast forward a little bit more and um one day someone else said, "Hey, I've got this other truck." And and I am bad with dates, but they're like, "I have this other truck." And around that time there was a little boy named Miles Shanahan and he was not quite four years old and he actually lost his battle to neuroblastoma. Oh gosh. And around the time that he lost his battle, you know, originally we were supposed to do a home visit and I was going to let Miles drive the truck around the neighborhood that let Miles drive Ariel around the neighborhood. And he just never was well enough for that. So we didn't Mm -hmm. end up doing that. And then I followed his family on social media and then he ended up passing away. And one of the needs that they had is, and and each family has different needs or different wants or different Mm -hmm. desires. And it was just really important for his mom and and to have closure to have an obituary. So Mm -hmm. I actually contacted the Tallahassee Democrat and I was like, hey, I'm Sarah Cooksey with Pink Hills Tallahassee chapter. And we have this little guy that just lost his battle to neuroblastoma. And it's really important for his family to have an obituary. And mm-hmm. she'd like it run on a Sunday. What, you know, is there anything that you can do to kind of help me out here? And the Democrat was very willing to kind of reduce the price of the obituary. And they ran it in the paper. And literally that night, I got a phone call from one of my friends, Maurice, that has said, Hey, Sarah, are you interested in another truck for your pink fleet? And I was like, <laughs> and I need another truck. Like I need a hole in the head. Well, <laughs> I decided to take that truck and I decided to gamble that his parents might want a truck named after him. And I reached out to them. I said, Hey, Hey, this is what I've got going on. And I went and I picked up the truck that is now named miles. Well, when I sent pictures of the fire truck to his family, they then sent me a picture of him running and I'll, I'll email these pictures to you because they're incredible. But they then sent me pictures of him running in front of an identical truck to the truck that I was just given when he was still alive. Whoa. Side by side. They're like the same year make model. And he was just running and playing carefree in a field in front of this truck that I ended up getting the exact same pretty much make and model. And we named it after him. When I picked up the truck, it was meant to be. When I picked up the truck, it said, in God, we trust on the front, on the, on the hood. Um, 
along this, this pink heels journey for me, there's always been signs and symbols. That was a big sign for me with Ariel. It was dragonflies. Um, I've had dragonflies literally land in my hand. As a matter of fact, this morning when Jason and I were leaving, uh, to do something, you know, just before he had to go to work early. So we got up super early and handled some things this morning. I looked at the rear view mirror of the truck that we were in and a dragonfly landed on the mirror. And what we were actually en route to do was to buy batteries for miles. Wow. That's amazing. I believe in those things. Oh, I totally do too. I think that, you know, for me, when they show up, it's like, okay, Ariel's there with me and and she's always validating whatever I'm going through at the moment. Right. Right. That's awesome. So do you drive this only on special occasions? You don't drive this every day. Obviously. No, it's not an everyday. It's, it's not an everyday driver. So with Ariel right now, she's out of commission. In okay. January of 2020, um, somebody set her on fire, and it was actually an arson case that was under investigation by oh, um, the God. state. And they came in and investigated it, and you know that was kind of gut wrenching for me. So you know, I I go through a divorce, I face some family challenges, face some work challenges, and then my passion, like the thing that was Right. My heart, aside from my family, you know, someone set that on fire. And so. Was it parked at a fire station? No, it was actually parked in front of Universal Collision, which is Frank Ariel's oh. dad's business. Oh my God. So it was just very, um, very gut wrenching. But you know, it was funny yeah. because there were a lot of, we got a lot of media attention and things like that afterwards. And um, there's a company in town called American Truck Depot, and she's actually at their their business right now. and they're working on her and working on getting her restored, you know, getting some tires to the front, working on her motor. Then we're kind of going to repaint her and um, get her back on the road. But what I learned through that was once again, the resilience of our community and it kind of did some things It reminded me of where I needed to be and kind of like kicked me in the butt, you know, cause Mm -hmm. you get to those points in life where you kind of lay down but it kind of like yeah. jump started me again. It made me angry enough to be like, nobody's going to take that away from me or the community or Ariel's family, Miles's family, you know, right. nothing like Absolutely. that. So kind of jump started, um, jump started me getting back to where I needed to be. And then I was like, well, how am I going to fix this? And then a guy named David teams with the Leon County Sheriff's department stepped up and he's like, let's make challenge coins and let's do this. And you know, had a company anchor construction come in and do some donations. And then I saw once again, that the community really stepped up and they believe in what we do and they wanted to, to be a part of restoring her. And so it just kind of gave me a little more, more faith. And then slowly things would evolve. And, you know, through that entire process of my divorce and Ariel being set on fire, I actually made friends with a lady who survived her cancel batter battle. Um, and I call her like my Tallahassee mom and she just supports everything that we do. And she's really amazing. Her na- name is Deborah Aww. Fulbright, but um, she's very supportive. And so with every little hurdle, hurdle that we faced, we've just had so much support and I'm looking forward to having her back on the road. And, and then this morning I was like, uh, you know, I have a little girl named Charlie that we're going to go visit over in Crestview and you know, she's battling cancer at such a young age. And so we're going to do like a gift basket and bring that over to her. And so I was like, well, I don't want to go without a truck. So I need to make sure that Miles has what he needs. I needed new batteries. And I don't know, I just kind of got that kick in the pants to get back where I need to be. Good. That's great. So, so you're the only one that drives this, right? 
Are any um, other I, people I actually, allowed to drive your truck? <laughs> I know. So this is horrible to say, but yes, when I first started it, it was like, that's my baby. And so <laughs> to let someone drive it was just kind of, oh, it was gut-wrenching. But yeah. I do have a board of directors um, and they do, they all drive. And then there's, oddly enough, Ariel was a, is a 1972 Pierce snorkel and she was a Tallahassee fire department unit way back in the day. And so a lot of the people that I work with are like, man, I remember riding that thing when I first got (laughs) hired, you know, now they're retiring. But one of my lieutenants, he's like, I drove that thing when we got it, you know, and it's, or not when they got it, but like after they got it. And it's just neat hearing those stories about this truck. And then they got to watch it go from, you know, our city to Wakulla County and then back to our city again, working as a pink fire truck. So anyway, when I first started, I was like, nobody's driving this truck. And I eventually, (laughs) I have a handful of people that I let drive it. But oddly enough, um, Miles is driven strictly right now by Jason. um, And that's, you know, the love of my life that's in my life right now and supports everything that I do. um, Because it's a standard and I don't really drive a standard well. So it's not just a standard that I can drive a standard car, but it's a big truck. And I'm just, I don't know, kind of nervous about it, which is funny because I drive big trucks for a living. But um, (laughs) so he started driving it for me and was going to show me the ins and outs of it. And I'm like, you know what? You're doing just fine. So usually I'll have him drive miles to events for me and I just kind of get chauffeured around or it's a really easy way for me to bring both trucks to an event. And, you know, we've Mm -hmm. done that too. So I've gotten, I've gotten laid back about it now where I'll let other people drive her. Yeah. <laughs> so I saw a video recently of people signing the truck. Who gets that opportunity? To so sign? we like to consider our trucks, the pink represents women because when Dave founded this organization, he was like, you know, women are the primary caregivers. You know, we were talking about that earlier. Like you're saying I was a single mom but I was a law enforcement officer, but I raised my daughter and you're still that primary caregiver. So, you know, we're expected to, to do this job and fill this role, but we're also expected to be that caregiver at home. So the reason the truck is pink, cause a lot of people think it's for breast cancer is because it represents the woman. It represents the mom and the person who takes care of her family. So anyone who's been affected by any type of cancer or terminal illness, man, woman, or child can sign an honor or memory of a loved one. So it could be your husband, it could be your son, your daughter, you know, your wife, whatever. And you just write a, a love note on the side of it. We like to call it like Aww. the rolling Vietnam Memorial, so to speak for families. So yeah. people will come back and look for their signatures and they do fade over time with rain and everything else. So we kind of say that it like fades into the soul of the truck. And if someone oh, shows yeah. up and they're like, I can't find my signature, then I just encourage them to sign it again. Mm-hmm. But I'm basically driving around people's loved ones is, is what all that signature. Yeah. No, represents. I did not know that the pink represented a woman. Yep. That's what it represents. I thought it was breast cancer. No, nope. so I'm glad you clarified that. That's yep. good. Wow. So I want to talk a little tiny, tiny bit. I don't want to get too much into it, but when I tried to have this podcast episode with you about a month ago, well, when the riots were just jumping off, you said, ma'am, you called me ma'am. I can't do it. We're, we're really busy right now. And then you sent me a picture and you were wearing like a Kevlar helmet and, and some, and some gear. And I thought to myself, wait a second, she's not a first response. I mean, she's not a law enforcement officer. She's a firefighter. Why, why is she wearing this like riot gear? So can you, can you talk about that just briefly? Sure. And, and at the time that you 
reached out to me. I, we were busy with so much. I mean, just with COVID-19 and, you know, and then the protests and things like that. So I work for a city and I'm, I'm very fortunate that we have excellent gear provided to us. So we're provided with um, protective gear. We're provided with a bulletproof vest, a, you know, Kevlar, Kevlar vest and a helmet in case we go into a situation that's just not safe for us. You know, we always wait for law enforcement to come and secure the scene. But the reality is sometimes they may not be there right away or we get into mm-hmm. a situation that we thought was safe that isn't safe. Um, mm-hmm. So we've been provided equipment to use in those situations. Just like we have special N100 masks that we wear on all medical calls now. You know, we have a, a lot of policies in place to just kind of keep us safe. But yeah, I never really thought as a firefighter that I would go, oh, I need to wear a bulletproof vest and a helmet. I know, exactly. Because we run into burning buildings. But I mean, it's just getting right. to the point that, I mean, you know, I like to say the world is kind of crazy right now, just yeah, all the way is. around. I mean, 2020 has been just such a strange world. Our kids are homeschooled, you know, right. mm-hmm. we deal with this, this virus that we don't really, we know enough about, but we don't know enough about. And there's always mm-hmm. something evolving from that and, you know, just everything. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys have that gear. It was just interesting to me that you had it. And so I wanted to make sure we talked about that briefly, but so about your pink fire truck, how long do you think that this, uh, well, well, you're actually the national pink heels tour. I mean, this is going to go on forever, right? You're constantly going to be involved in this, right? Well, the way it works is the national pink heels tour, they go on tour every year and they go from city to city to share the program, but then the cities adopt the program. So like, okay. I'm my own chapter of Pink Hills Tallahassee chapter, which is a 501c3 in itself, but we just kind of umbrellaed underneath the national tour. That's where we kind of got our, our start from, so to speak. Okay. So I I guess an easy comparison is we're kind of like a franchise. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Exactly. So you plan your own events, you do your own thing. Correct. So when are you planning on retiring and how are you going to hand over that pink truck to someone else? Are you going to be able to do that? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And, and see, the thing is, is that the pink truck really isn't associated with the fire department. So even when I retire from TFD, I can still continue to do pink heels. Um, oh, okay. okay. And actually what's really cool is I, I have a good friend named Rochelle who works for the police department. And so we're talking about just growing and getting a pink patrol car for our chapter. Um, there's that chapters in Rhode so Island cool. that have pink ambulances, pink patrol cars, pink fire trucks, and their chapter just got bigger and bigger. So nice. that's one of the things on the horizon for us is a pink patrol car. Um, love it. Love it. And, but, but the retirement question, so technically I retire in seven years, I'll be 47. And then wow. it's just going to be a matter on if I choose to do the drop or not. And that'd be a five-year drop. So I'd still be 52 when I was fully retired. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I'd necessarily give up pink heels at that time or even my business. I mean, that's kind of young, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just wondering how how you were going to handle that. But but since you don't have to give it up, that's a good thing. You can keep it. And you know what? <laughs> I it always... Is, it is your passion. I always, yeah. I always just say you cross that bridge when you get there. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So... Well, Sarah, this has been an amazing interview. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for clarifying things about about the National Pink Heels Tour. And it's just it's just awesome to talk to you and to see what you're doing in your community. I'm really thankful for the opportunity. Thank you so much. If you're enjoying the Real Life Podcast, I invite you to consider supporting it monetarily. Just 99 cents a month will go a long way to secure future episodes. Where exactly does your money go? It pays the monthly fees for the program I use to record the guests. 
I want to recognize and thank the following listeners for supporting the Real Life Podcast. Lori, Ben, Susan, Katie, Ron, Cammie, Paul, and Anne. So thank you for listening, and I hope you decide to support the Real Life Podcast. Just click on the podcast link that I post on Facebook and Twitter, then click the link that says support. And it also has a dollar sign next to it. You're all amazing. I'll see you next week. The Real Life Podcast was recorded and is being made available by Anchor.fm and its affiliates solely for the informational and entertainment purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided and or expressed on the Real Life Podcast are entirely those of the host, guests, and callers, and are responsible for all show content and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the agencies and communities that the guests may serve. Some parts of the Real Life Podcast may contain adult content intended for people who are 18 years of age or older. Please listen responsibly.